When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What I ask people to do when they want to engage is ask that owner, have you ever thought about what you would do next? It's a simple dialogue that if you can get that conversation going and then you can connect them to someone you know that can help them with that conversation. And that has actually been successful in bringing me some really great quality referrals. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. And I tell you, you're in for a treat today. I went all the way to the West Coast to hang out with my buddy, Dan, who may be introducing you to a concept that many folks are not familiar with. So, Dan, welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast, man. Great to have you on. Thanks, Jerome. Great to be here. Now, Dan, you had a illustrious corporate career, if I'm not mistaken. So before you got into business advisory or business brokerage, what did you do? Like, what led us to this magnificent place that we no, are no, today? Great. Yeah, great question. So I am originally from Chicago. I went to engineering school, essentially. I, I like to tinker. So I got my engineering degree and that, that turned into a high-tech career. So I was, but I was always on the kind of service and repair side. And then I was fortunate enough to move up the management chain and, you know, had a lot of great experience. Ultimately, moving from Chicago to the West Coast and, you know, like, like we talked about when we first met after Going through about four growth, acquisition, integration, reduction processes, I uh, thought, you know what, I, I want to step off the merry-go-round here. It's, it, I want to work with businesses in my community. So, so that's kind of where I started, had wonderful experience, traveled all over the world. But what I really wanted to do is be close to home, work in my community with businesses. So I became a business pro. Now... What's different about you from a lot of the people that I've met is you told me that you have a real heart for small business owners. Yes. And I guess it will be medium-sized business owners as well. Where did that come from and how did you decide that, you know, that was the way you wanted to operate? Man, great question. I think that, you know, I, 
I have the opportunity to be a leader in the service organization for these high-tech companies that I worked with. And in many of the roles you were working with, especially when I was working in industrial printing, for example, you were working with small businesses who were acquiring your equipment. You know, they would spend, you know, several hundred thousand to several million dollars on your company. And my role was to make sure that my crew helped get that product installed and operating because that client was working on making money, producing output from the equipment they spent money on with us. So I had just a, I've got a wealth of experiences, good, bad, and ugly working with clients who, you know, I could either help make them very happy and very successful, or I was up all hours of the night making sure that we had a path to do so. So I think what ended up happening as a result of that was I really developed an appreciation and a passion for working with clients. And then it, it was like solving a puzzle where you're trying to figure out, okay, what's in the way of success and how do we, how do we help create that? And once you experienced it, it was magical. And these are people that during these processes, I get to know, and you get to know about them. You get to know about their families. You get to know about what was important to them. And I just kept that with me. So as I was going through the corporate experience where unfortunately company cultures have changed from quite frankly, caring about their people to looking at numbers. And then you're just basically a number and every so often you have to reduce those numbers. So you're kind of, it's a nameless, faceless experience. So when I decided to take a step away, it was when I made the first step away, it was like jumping without a parachute. I did not have a job to go to. I just said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go figure it out. One thing that was always important to me was small businesses. And so my personal mission became helping small businesses thrive. And I carry that with me. It resonates with people. It's genuine. And so then I essentially get an opportunity to walk the talk. Wow. And so you said you could help the folks be really successful. Or I think you said you had a headache if they didn't perform at a high level. Yeah, yeah, I lose sleep. All right, so you get out, and I assume you saw some people make some serious money as being a supplier for the large companies that you were working with. Is yeah. that fair? Yeah, you get to yeah, did get to see some of that. Now, did you ever hear about some of those folks exiting their company as a result of the contracts they had with you? So, in that part of the career. The way it would happen was if they were struggling, there would usually be some kind of M&A activity or maybe a larger company, you know, they would sell to a larger company, you know, so then they would exit that way. So I didn't get inside of that whole lot. The exit experience came later when I started helping owners, you know, do that or at least discuss or prepare to do it. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, I'm... 10 years away from exiting or I'm 20 years away from exiting. I'm sure you've heard that a number of times when you reached out to folks and told them about your services and what you can do for them. What do you say in response to folks who aren't thinking about That's a fantastic question because it even starts at three and five years. I have all the time in the world. And so what I try to do is engage them in a dialogue to say, okay, so what you're telling me is you're on an airplane, 50,000 feet in the air. And eventually it's going to have to land. And I said, you know, so do you have a flight plan? Do you know where you're going to land? Do you know if you're going to land safely? 
And then what happens? I said, so when do you reach that point? What happens? You know, Art, it's like you wake up one morning and you say, okay, I'm retired. And so I try to engage them to have dialogue with me to say, to help describe it. And in all of this, I'm trying to be genuine and not just trying to be a sales guy, trying to look for the hook. What I'm really trying to do is engage in that conversation because safely half the time they don't have a clue. And in some of those cases, they're scared to death about the thought because what am I going to do? Whether it's 10 years or 80 years of work and doing the same thing or similar to it, you know, they've always worked, especially baby boomers. They've always worked. So I don't know what to do if I'm not working. And so what you do is try to get that conversation with them and then talk about how do you lay out the steps? You know, some people have told me, hey, I just thought that one day I'd lock the door and never come back. And, you know, we tried to appeal to them to say, well, you've created something of value here. You know, don't you want to either have it carry on as a legacy, maybe the next generation, which is a story maybe we can talk about later if there's time. But, but yeah, just try to figure out how to organize a game plan. You know, do you know where you stand today? Do you know the value of your business, et cetera? Just, you know, there's a number of ways that I can enter to help that dialogue and then establish, okay, how do we work the game plan to proceed? Now, what I found when working with financial advisors is the largest asset that most entrepreneurs have is their business, mm -hmm. but they have no idea what if their business is worth or right. if their business is sellable. Yeah. And so when you start engaging them in the dialogue, are you finding that they're surprised that what this worth either high or low? Some are. You get one category of answers where people say, well, if someone came through that door, wrote me a check for this, I'd sell it to them. And, and then you have others that they never thought about it and they're curious. And then, then you have some others that they're very aware. They're very aware, you know, my best situations and it's a rarity is when they kind of have an idea or at least an opinion, but they know that they want help to market their business. Some people I talk to, they don't want to spend what it costs to have me involved. And, and some of them I've talked to and they, I said, okay, well then you can do it your way and call me if you need any help. And some people have called back and said, oh my gosh, you know, I've had to talk to so many people that thought they were interested and they're breaking my heart. You know, it's like they took all my time. I gave them personal information and now nothing. And I was like, that's what I can help you with. I can help you screen those out, get the tire kickers out and bring you really quality purchasers that they're looking to sincerely buy your business and, you know, ready, willing, able, and capable of buying your business. Not just people that are, they saw the ad and they, they want to collect. This is interesting because I think a lot of people want to cut out the middleman. They don't see that true value is being created by the, for, from the person who's helping consummate the transaction. What do you feel like is the biggest value add that you bring to a deal? So the owner has to operate their business in many cases. It depends on the size, but you know, in small businesses, I mean, we work with businesses that could gross 50,000 a year in sales up to 50 million. As you get to larger businesses, you typically have, you know, staff and teams and they're operating. So the owner may or may not be active in the day-to-day, -day, but let's just say below that, you could have an owner that has to come in and prepare for the day they have to work, they have to lock up at night, right? So they don't have time to do anything. They barely have enough time to do it, what they do. So in that case, I can offer them a lot of support to have a professional represent them. 
I spend some time gathering information. I get to know them. And then I write a story on the business. And then I build that advertisement. I do the marketing. And then it we create the best representation of that business that we can to make it attract. And then we generate interest. And then from that, I do screening and qualification of prospective buyers. So that if you, there are a lot of people that want to email you and say, oh, send me information on the company. And I say, no, I'm, I have to have a live conversation with you in person, you know, on the phone, Zoom or face to face so that I can understand what you're seeking and understand if we've got a match here. And then only then we can proceed and I'll give you more information on the company once you sign a non-disclosure and provide a background. So. You know, so the value then I add is really bringing quality prospective buyers to the owner and not waste a lot of time with people who are not ready or qualified to purchase. That screening process is extremely important because there is some personal information, air quotes around personal information that gets shared. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see buyers make or I'm sorry, sellers make? when they're getting ready to exit or coming to you to try to exit. It's probably a better way of describing it. So, so I would say the tied for the top two are small business owners pride themselves on the fact that they want to minimize their taxes and maximize their profits. So think about it. On paper, you've been running for pick a number of years. And on paper, you haven't made a dime of profit. So now you're getting ready to sell. How can you say this business is profitable when on paper you're not showing that? So that's one thing. And so, and then we can talk about how we help them through that. The second thing is spending too much time working inside of your business as opposed to working on your business. So, you know, call it what you will. Some people are just control freaks. So they'll work 60 hours a week, they generate a lot of success, but they have no life. And in some cases I say, well, okay, if I pull you out of that equation of your company, what happens? And some say, oh, then it's not, you know, it's not going to operate. And say, okay, so I have to find a clone of you to buy this business. And I would say those two are the top two challenges in helping somebody, you know, really find a buyer and essentially establish a value in that business. And it, it's counterintuitive on the financial side because it felt good when you minimize your tax payments, but then once you then turn around and say, okay, now I want to sell it, we look at financial history and, you know, sometimes what we can do is look at, okay, what expenses are you running through the business that we can adjust out? And sometimes banks don't like that. They don't agree with everything, but, you know, some people, you know, they took liberties where, you know, they've got, you know. They got nice cars, business paid for it, you know, to supply their family with cell phones and, yeah. you know, and then there's a, a ton of other stories about the kinds of expenses that owners run through their business. But, but yeah, sometimes we can show on an adjusted P&L that the business did generate healthy profits. And, you know, then it's just a matter of the buyer then trusting that's truth, not misrepresented, which, you know, we go on fact-based, so. You know, it depends on, it depends on what the buyer is seeking, how believable some of those deductions are. Yeah. I think they call those ad backs, if I'm not ad mistaken. Ad That is it. Yeah. yeah. Back to cash flow. <laughs> yeah. On the bigger businesses, you know, that kind of gets wrung out through, you know, professional accountants, financial advisors, ownership, you know, as you start to get above maybe like a, 
eight to $10 million of gross sales. Usually the ownership is, it's not a simple ownership. There could be more than one owner. The structures are different. It starts to look like a company, the way things operate. So you don't have that kind, you don't have that kind of challenge up at the, up at the top end. Getting all the owners aligned is more in line with a challenge at the top end, but it's that, you know, mid to small business that it's, there's some businesses out there that are just really interesting and exciting. And I really love helping the clients find the right buyer. Now you talked about the partners and how that can create challenges for folks who are not in partnerships right now, but they're like, oh man, well, if I had a partner, I could grow faster or I could Mm -hmm. build it bigger. If I had somebody to share the responsibilities with, do you have any guidance for them for making sure that when they get to the the exit point that it isn't a cluster because I, I just imagine well, it complicates things tremendously. Yeah. Well, my my advice would be it's kind of like thinking about, you know, like writing a living will. You got to begin with the end in mind. So you got to figure out okay, in a business partnership what's important and get that written down. Get an agreement written down during I would call it peacetime so that it just looks good on paper and it looks fair. Both sides can agree. And then that way you have that partnership agreement in place so that when the time comes, you know, it's already been organized because a lot can happen to a company, especially if the partners, you know, drive a very successful company. You know, sometimes, you know, as the business grows and as things start getting successful, people start kind of changing their views on what's important in life, right? So if you get a good partner and if you get a good, I would say a good agreement in place, you can at least have that organized because if you try to solve it down the road and if you start to lose whatever the flame was that brought you together, you know, it's just not pretty. And then what ends up happening is it's very costly because then like, for instance, there are business appraisers that a majority of their business is providing valuations on severed relationships. And that could be a divorce. It could be a business partnership separation, you know, and it's just, it's like a hostile situation. But yeah. if you go into it, if you go into it with some organization and then when I think the other thing is if you find a partner, you know, make sure you've got some alignment inside yourselves, whether that's principle, vision, certain commonalities going into business, you know, like I, and it's a, For some people, you know, it's hard to admit that, you know, I'm strong here, but I really don't know anything about this. And I would love to have someone that knows that. And in some cases, it could be that they could be rough personalities where if two people, you know, went in and had a meal with with the couple and they're, wow, you guys get along? Well, they do, you know, in business, they compliment each other like you wouldn't believe. Mm -hmm. But I think a a little thoughtfulness and what you want to achieve together could go a long way. Now... I know a lot of people think this might be a curse word, call it succession, mm. where, you know, they expect the next generation to take over. And a lot of times the next generation has no interest in the business. So then they find themselves in a place where they're trying to give the ball to a kid who doesn't want it. Yeah. And now what do they do? do they just close yeah. the doors and walk away or what happens next? Have you encountered that in you're I certainly have. Yeah. And times have changed, you know, I'm, I'm a boomer and even though I'm kind of, I guess, towards the end of them, but in my generation and earlier, 
you know, family legacy business succession. It was kind of like rite of passage, you know, it was expected. That's changed. You know, I've run into so many people now that they built the business. And the most classic story that I get from owners is that, okay, I built this business, a successful business. I educated my kids. I gave them a good life. And now what they've done is they uh, became more educated and they want to pursue a different profession. They don't want to do this. And, you know, so I think that there is realization that happens, you know, now I would say it's the minority of times where the business gets transferred to the next generation. Most of the time it's a a different acquisition. In some cases, it could be an employee-based acquisition. Those, you know, those are, you know, those are organized a little bit differently, but, but yeah, then we have to find a buyer. How does that go? Is it, I mean, do you have a story you could share with? successfully accomplishing that or people deciding to give up on the journey? Well, yeah, I mean, I've got a, yeah, we've got a lot of stories, but I've got a couple stories where people gave up on the journey. You know, what I try to do is I try to meet the owners at a point in time where they're healthy and the business is healthy. And, you know, then we can talk about it. And that's where the conversation starts. Oh yeah, I've got a lot of time. I'm not going to retire for five or six, seven years or whatever, you know? So we get through that conversation. But I've got two situations where I think the owners waited too long. In one case, it was a health-related issue where, I mean, their health was kind of deteriorating as we were starting to work together. So before they officially hired me, they were worried. And we kind of got through a certain process to get to the valuation of their business, or at least my opinion of what the market could bear for that business. And then they were kind of classic in that, They wouldn't execute, so they would just procrastinate. And then what happened is they ended up not hiring me. And then I heard a few months later, because I've got another circle of friends that originally introduced me to them, that they never went through with it and health started failing. So it was just really kind of a bad luck situation, I think, more than anything. My other example is a couple that owned a business for, my gosh, he worked in the business for maybe 45 years. And then they took over the business from the prior owner and they did not have children to pass the business to, but they hired me. They wanted to try to sell it quickly. And in less than six months, they lost energy and they called me up and said, wow, you know, we just, I want to stop. I want to retire. We're going to have to take the business off the market. I'm exhausted. I thought, man, I just wish I would, in those situations, I wish I would have met the people a year earlier you know, at a minimum, but it does happen. And so, you know, for that keeps me going to try, you know, as I spread the word through my network, introduce me to owners, go find them myself, you know, solicit market to them, have that conversation, those magic words. You know, what I ask people to do when they want to engage is ask that owner, have you ever thought about what you would do next? And that's a, it's a simple dialogue that if you can get that conversation going and then you can connect them to someone, you know, that can help them with that conversation. And that has actually been successful in bringing me some really great quality referrals. A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential, but lack the strategy, support and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, aka the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. 
When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. And so when somebody comes to a broker, is that the same as exit planning or is that kind of a whole different battle no. wax? Yeah, I mean, technically it's a form of it, but so there there are actually organizations that specialize in exit planning. So, you know, like I have a great example of a business that I sold where he was interesting path to where he started and finished, but he started off as a stockbroker and he also was very active outdoors person. Long story short, he ended up getting in the industry and he ended up buying like a windsurfing shop and ran the business, understood the market, had wild success. And then at some point decided, okay, here's my plan. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to retire in a few years. And so we met him a little over a year before he officially wanted to retire. And he was one of the most organized people I've ever worked with. And he was ready for everything. I mean, the books were finely tuned. He had an opinion on what his business was worth, but he was playing poker with me. He was like, I want you to go do your work and then we'll come and have breakfast. You can tell me what you think and I'll let you know if it's what I think. And it was great. He was, and he's a great guy. I mean, we're friends now and we had breakfast. I said, well, I think it's going to be between this and that. He goes, okay, that's about where I was thinking. And he hired me and it was great. We, you know, we went out, we marketed the business. It it was a cool business to market because the story was colorful, active, it's in a great location. And we had a lot of interest and uh, I ended up being fortunate enough to get two full price offers on the business. Whoa. It was awesome. I mean, it was like, it was great. And then, you know, you basically work that process. So the other place where business brokers add value is, you know, the work only begins when they want to hire you to help, you know, but we work with the client all the way through the transition because we want to make sure, you know, I'm in this business for the long haul. So I develop relationships. I, you know, I joke, jokingly refer to myself as a cat herder while you're trying to get towards a closing because a business sale always derails on its own. If you don't Uh tend there, you know, hundred little details you're working through. And I mean, you are playing counselor, playing, you know, the hammer, you're being this, you're either being the soft hand or the hammer when you need to, you know, because you're trying, you know, you want the deal to happen. The buyer and seller want the deal to happen. Sometimes the other professionals that are, you know, the workers in the middle, they're, yeah, you know, if it happens, you know, if not the next one. And so we're just trying to keep it on task and, you know, you're just trying to guide it and get it to closing. And when it happens, it's, it's great. It's a wonderful thing. But in this, then that example that I gave you, it was just, it was a a guy came from corporate. He wanted to be an entrepreneur. His wife is a professional and he wanted to do it. And, you know, we had great long talks, getting him ready to make the offer. You know, then it was one of those conversations where he's like, oh my God, what am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? So you're kind of helping him you know, talk off the ledge. And one of the things that I always ask my buyers when they get that one in the morning freak out, I said, do me a favor. I said, you need to give just as much time thinking about the opportunity and the passion that drove you to be interested in this business 
as you do getting woken up in the middle of the night, worrying about how it's going to fail. I said, just do me a favor, spend equal time on the plot, positive and negative. And in almost all cases, you know, they come out and they remember why they wanted the business and they get through it. And, and sometimes it's just, you got to be there just listening. You're helping them along. If there is a problem, you sort it out and just help to remove all the obstacles. I think that's the dream. And now I saw something that said basically about one in five businesses actually successfully sell. People who start the journey, only 20% of them make it all the way through to getting the check or the wire. Yeah. Are you finding that there are people who start the process that just aren't ready and that's part of the reason why they don't make it through? Yeah, I think depending on where you kind of see the statistic, I've seen anything from one to five, all the way up to 90% of the time, a business doesn't close that uh, wants to sell. And so I think in the broad sense, if somebody is not prepared, then they're not going to get very far in the sale of their business. And then, you know, I think when even the businesses that are well-organized, well-run, well-situated, you know, sometimes market forces aren't working for you. You know, right now we're going through a difficult time where we have people that want to exit their business and sell. If you're a buyer and you need to finance, that money is going to be a little expensive. You may not qualify. You know, there's a number of hurdles that are in your way. What I always tell a buyer, you know, we have a variety of lenders that we introduce buyers to, is that if you get a no response from a lender, it's a no response from that lender. You work your way through. There's always somebody out there that will put a package together to help somebody who wants a business acquire a business. And a lot of times I know I I learned this term from my real estate brothers and sisters that, you know, you marry the business. It's just like you marry the home, you date the interest rate because fluctuations happen and you can refinance at a later time. But I guess in all this, so what I really have learned is that true entrepreneur spirit shines through. And what I mean by that is if somebody really wants to get into a business, they will figure out a way. They will maneuver through everything. In many ways, I use that almost like a filtering factor that sometimes people come to me and say, hey, I'm interested in this business. You know, I want I want to offer less than what they're asking. I want the owner to finance it and I don't have any money down. And I'm like, well, you're not going to get there. I said, you got to be compelling as a buyer, you know, because we're trying to figure out, you know, why should you be the one to buy this business as well. And, and I've had some people that as soon as the dialogue gave them a homework assignment and they didn't do it, I'm like, okay, well, that's a signal to me that you really don't want to do this. You want someone to hand it to you. You don't want to work for it. And so, you know, that serves as part of the qualification process. You know, I've had more success with people that don't know what they don't know, but they listen, they carry it out and they come back and they're like, okay, I did that. What's next? You know, those are the ones that you know, they're probably going to be successful because they're hungry and they want to figure out a way to do it. I think it requires a little bit of ingenuity in order to be successful. And I think there is are some hurdles that you have to jump through or jump over in order to get in. I know there are a lot of people who have decided not to force things because every time they forced it, it's not worked out in their favor. But with that said, I mean, there has to be a desire, a pretty deep desire to make things work and make them work well. Oh, yeah. So yeah. you said something that was key to me. You said we work with our sellers through the transition. 
And what I'm used to hearing more frequently is, you know, when the deal is done, I'm done. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about the transition specifically for the people who sell, because I think it's like three out of four people regret selling their business once they sell it. So for that one in four, what was different about them? And what did they have set up or what was going on on the backside of the transaction that made them not regret selling the business? Yeah. So it's a great question because when I talk to a seller and they appear to have like a life plan, I want to go do something else or I want to go do this very specific thing and selling my business enables me to focus on that. So in every case, when an owner had a vision or a purpose behind what would drive them, and then they were like, okay, the business ownership was a chapter in my book of life, and now I'm ready. I'm teed up for the next chapter. Those seem to always be successful because they have a place that they're going to go next. The ones that, and I try to catch them early, I remember having distinctly having breakfast with a guy who owned a business. And at one point he said, I just don't know what I would do. And I said, well, I said, you ought to figure that out before you even think about selling your business. Cause you know, there, I mean, there are stories about, you know, people going into pretty heavy depression because it's like they lost their purpose and it's not different from, you know, everything you read about people that are going into retirement period. It's like the best thing you could do is figure out something to drive you, you know, whether you do volunteer, you know, whether you, I mean, just do, you know, figure something out, hobbies, just anything to give you a sense of, you know, getting yourself moving to the next step and what have you. But it was always, like I said earlier, somebody that had a plan, the transition worked well. You know, when I thought you were going to ask me a different question when you asked about transition, but we always build in as term of the sale, a transition period where the seller works together with the buyer to organize the handoff. And it typically ranges, depending on the business, it could be two to four weeks. Usually what I do is I put a boundary around the term of the sale and then the buyer has the right to organize an ongoing relationship with the seller separately from the sale could be a consulting arrangement. In some cases, as a term of the sale, the buyer negotiates some employment contract. So it's not unusual for the seller to organize having a job for a period of time. It helps with the transition. Maybe there's a cultural element to the business that the buyer would feel would be helped by the seller remaining. So they'll be like in a consultative role. And then it's a right off into the sunset at some point. And so those can be organized in a sale of a business. Yeah. I think most people who sell to like a strategic acquirer or venture capital call that purgatory <laughs> where they have the employment agreement with the earn out and yeah. they haven't been an employee for 15 years and now oh, yeah. they're an employee. And they, oh yeah. They got to get ready for that. Yeah. Because, you know, it, you know, what I always try to do, especially if I'm really getting along well with the client is I said, you know, you do want to put a boundary around your, your agreement, your, and this is just training. This is an employment agreement. I said, because it will get to the point if you, you some owners 
are very generous. Oh yeah, I'll hang around for six months helping them. And I said, no, you know, we'll, why don't you put in four weeks and then you can negotiate the rest? I said, because you will get to a point where you will have that frustration that's somewhere equivalent to, I don't like the way they organize their sock drawer. You know, it's like, so, you know, I don't like the way they turn the open sign on in the morning. It's like, you know, try to step in the background, but, but no, they're, I mean, you just see so many, you just see so many stories that unfold with a transition. But, you know, we usually what we try to do is kind of provide an optimal period where buyer can have everything they need and the seller transfers the knowledge. And so far, knock on wood, I've been very fortunate that the transitions have gone pretty smoothly. The people were good matches and the handoffs worked very smoothly. Everyone's happy with it. That's outstanding. That's outstanding. So Dan, what didn't I ask you that I should have asked you? Oh, man. Well, let's see. If we go back to the original intent of what we're trying to do here is we're really trying to prepare sellers to plan their exits. And I think that number one, just trying to get a business owner to think about the fact, you know, even ask themselves, what do I want to do next? And then start to really give yourself some time to sort that answer. Out. And, and then you have to plan for it. You just, it will be better if you orchestrate a plan than if you avoid the plan and then something happens. Because I talked about those two examples of clients that pulled the plug early because of personal reasons. And you never know, you never know how your life could change. And, you know, if you don't have some kind of plan together, you know, it might not go as smoothly as, as you, you hope it would, or you want it to. And so. You know, I think exit planning on, you know, probably it is either going to be the largest asset of your personal life or the second largest. If it's a, if it's a good sized business, it's going to be the biggest thing. And a lot of people want the sale of their business to, you know, fulfill the nest egg for the family and the rest of their life. And so you have to have a plan. You have to think about it. You, you should talk to someone about it. You know, I always tell people don't go it alone. But, you know, I always have to be careful because at the end of the day, they're like, well, you're just a sales guy. Of course, you're going to say that. And I'm like, well, I'm not a sales guy. You know, I, I do this, but I, what I'm really trying to do is help you organize yourself to be successful, you know, beyond the business. Yeah. I think people are become extremely skeptical about people who actually want to help them. And I think what you're offering to them is just solid like guidance. We find so many people that find our practice. You talk about the depressed state. I, I call it the founder's exit paradox, where this good thing happened for a lot of them, right? They got the biggest check or the wire of their life, and they don't know what to do. Yeah, They don't know how to decouple or detach from the existing business. They don't have this thing that's going to pull them or drive them to do what's next. And they're just lost. They're mm -hmm. lost in, a, in the sauce. They've got all the freedom. They're questioning whether or not they should spend the money. They're yeah. trying to figure out how to make stuff last. They're questioning their identity. They're questioning the people in their lives and whether they should be there or why they're there. I mean, and it just goes on and on all, all the way down to health. And did they give up all their health in order to build the business? Yeah. And so yeah. I think what you're describing is something that, most brokers are not interested in 
mm-hmm. right or wrong, right? They're interested in the deal. They're loyal to the deal. And if they get the deal done, then they feel like they did a good job. Meanwhile, right. there is a whole founder on the backside of that oh, deal yeah. who yeah. has a life, a new life. They have to become a new person. And at times there is nobody left to help them figure out what's next. And, and while they thought the money may f- fix the problem, they find out very quickly that the financial freedom was empty promise and illusion and that fulfillment is the thing that they are truly seeking. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important that you potentially get some help with that because Absolutely. if you don't, you can be walking through the Appalachia Trail or backpacking through Europe or sitting on a beach or playing golf or whatever the thing is you think you're going to do. Meanwhile, you're just wandering. And yeah, I think there's some frameworks and some other things that we and other folks can help you with in order to help you get to, to that next space and figure out what's Absolutely. next. Absolutely. Dan, I always like to wrap up. And actually, first, I would like to say, For the listeners who are interested in getting to know more about you and how you can help them, what's the best way for them to connect with you? So two ways. So if you go to tworld.com, I work for Transworld Business Advisors. And so you look up tworld.com. My uh, email is dwalkowski at tworld.com. I'm based in Portland, Oregon. There are about 750 of us around the country. But if you want to talk to me directly, I'm always willing. I, my office number is 503-820-0063. And I'd be happy to, I'd be happy to hear from people, be happy to chat. You know, and like I say, you know, I go into these relationship businesses for the long run. And so, you know, I just feel that, you know, I'm a big uh, believer that, you know, if you're helpful to people and you become, and you, you develop a reputation for being a helpful person, you're going to help a lot of people and people are going to be looking out for you as well. And so uh, I always like to, I always like to be helpful to the people that I meet. Law reciprocity. And the final question I have for you, Dan, is what's the one thing you want listeners to take away from this episode? The one thing is think about what you want to do next and then prepare for it. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it from Dan himself. What's next is the question you have to get answered. And if you need help getting that question answered, we stand here ready to help you so that when you hit the Founders Exit Paradox, and we believe that everybody goes through it at some level, but those who know what's next can kind of speed through that lull and move into that next phase of life gracefully and truly enjoy the backside of the exit. Dan, thank you so much for sharing with the listeners. I'm grateful for the opportunity to expose them to brokers and one who is actually doing it the right way. Again, there are a lot of folks out there who just want to get you to the transaction and don't actually care about what happens to you after the fact. But Dan's one of the rare breeds who actually cares about the relationship more than he cares about the transaction. Until the next time, your dreams should be real. We'll talk to you in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.